Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 30th of October, 2022. Done on purpose. I'm going to start a, uh, a series today. I don't know how long it'll go. It's... Um, I've titled it uh, on many, many things and, and over time as I thought about it. Finally, I came up with uh, done on purpose, done on purpose. One time I, because I've been reflecting on this theme for a while, uh, anticipational theology probably are happier that I've gone with done on purpose. But the idea is the same, that what I was thinking in as far as anticipational theology is something that God gave to us with the expectation and anticipation of what we would do with it. So that's sort of the nature of this series it's some passages that uh, speak to a, a promise, a statement that is made for us with the hope that there would be further benefit experienced. Let's suppose that uh, you enjoyed woodworking, but you just didn't have any tools to speak of and uh, maybe you've borrowed others or used others or but someone came along and gave you a very nice table saw and a stack of, of really fine lumber and as you walked out to your garage which is now your shop and you saw this table saw, and and uh, you saw this lumber, and you go, all right, this is great. Thank you so much for what you've given me. I really appreciate it a lot. So the person who gave it to you checks back in with you for a, a couple weeks later and says, well, How's it going? And you know that he's asking about the table saw. So you show him out to the table saw and you say, I've been keeping it polished on top. And I've stocked all the lumber over here. It's all neatly sorted now. It's all good. The person looks at you and goes, What? That isn't why I gave you the table saw and the lumber so that you could keep it nice and neat and the lumber stacked. I, I had a, a different purpose for it. I, I wanted you to actually use it. I wanted to gain some benefit from it. I didn't just give it to you so that you could admire it and maybe keep it polished or whatever. I gave it to you so that you could really profit from it. In much the same way, God has given us statements in his word 
like a table saw given to a woodworker who then would take it and the expectation is that you would profit from it. And one of those passages is in our scripture reading this morning. And I invite you to turn back to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you might recognize something about this passage. This is often called the theme verse verses of John. This is sort of the summary of John, and so it is. But let me let me read you uh, this these two verses, and then we will try and break it down a little bit. Uh, so that we can benefit as God, I believe, intended it to be experienced. Thomas had just had that, that upper room uh, dialogue with Jesus, and he had actually seen him now, and, and he says, I believe. And in verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did... Many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book. There's other things. We can find them in the Gospels. The other three Gospels. We can find stories and accounts in, the, in Matthew and Mark and Luke that aren't found in John. And I believe there were probably many, many others that they experienced and they knew about that didn't get written in any of the Gospels. But John says, I wanted to record these things, and I believe under the direction of the Holy Spirit he did so. He says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now the key word here, will sound strange to you, is the word that. In this passage, John says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. In other words, he says, I have recorded the gospel of John. I have written the accounts that you will read in this book for a very specific purpose. It isn't just so that you have another book in your library shelf. It isn't so that you could read something about the account of Jesus and know something so that you could answer questions on Jeopardy if you ever got called to Jeopardy. It isn't for that kind of a purpose. The reason I have written what I have written is because I wanted you to have the basis to be able to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And to that end, then, I wanted to look and see what John actually said about these two subjects. Now, Admittedly, there is much more than what we're going to be able to cover in this message 
about what happened in the life of Christ. But I picked the two themes that John picked so that we might have some sort of an understanding of where he was going and what he was about. The first thing, he says, I have a desire to write these things so that you could believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. So the very first thing he wanted to let us know by reading is that Jesus is the Christ. And what does that mean? The anointed one, the Messiah, um, the one who was promised. And sometimes, especially in the days of Christ, was seen as the Savior. Who, who is this person that's going to come and save us? That Jesus came to be that Savior. In fact, that's what his name actually means. He says, you should call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so his actual name pointed to that, but he's referred to as the Christ, the anointed one, uh, the Messiah, in several locations. And so let's take a quick survey through. Uh, if you want to turn your Bible, fine. If you just want to follow along, that's, that's fine. I will be reading these passages. And you can see what was said and who said it so that we might know what John recorded and why he recorded it. In John chapter 1, verses 40 and 41, Jesus has begun to call his first disciples to have him have an inner core group that would follow him around. And we read that one of the two who heard John speak, this was some people who were following John the baptizer. He says, who heard John speak when uh, John had said, Behold the Lamb of God. One of those people who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his, his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in the process of calling his disciples, John the baptizer, who was a forerunner of Jesus, had pointed out Jesus and Andrew, who had listened to what was said and had seen Jesus, goes to find his brother, Simon Peter, and says, we have found the Messiah. And scripture says, which means the Christ. We go on a little bit further, and Jesus is involved in ministry, and he now has a core group of disciples, and he takes them with him, so with him as he goes through Samaria. Now this wasn't a, a thing that um, Jews would normally have done. They would have circumnavigated around the area of Samaria. They didn't mix it up with the Samaritans. Uh, there was quite a bit of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, which we won't go into why that is. But we come to this account in 
in John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well and he's in Samaria and there's a woman who comes out to the well and he begins to talk with her. And as he talks with her, uh, she says something in chapter 4 and verses 25 and 26. They're dialoguing back and forth. And Jesus says, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So any kind of notion that that was a title that was put on Christ, but not one that he claimed for himself, that's just obliterated by this conversation around the well with the woman of Samaria. It goes on a little bit further in John chapter 7. Jesus is, has been ministering and they're wondering, who is this guy? You know, he's doing miracles, he's teaching, and there's quite a bit of confusion. And in John chapter 7 and verse 40 and following, we read these things. Jesus had just said, out of me will flow living water. And when they heard these things, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ or the Messiah. And some said, is Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was, and there was division among the people over him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. There was some confusion, and their confusion was on their part, because Jesus really was born in Bethlehem. Not while he lived in Nazareth. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He lived uh, there, but he was born in Bethlehem. He really was of the offspring, offspring of David, and he really was in the royal line of King David. But they wondered, is this the Christ? Is this the one? Well, we move on from there. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, verses 24 and through 27, Jesus is talking about them, about being the good shepherd. And he is spending some time uh, discussing about being the door of the sheep and watching over the sheep. And they, they're right in the midst of this conversation. They raise the questions. He says, the Jews gathered together around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, he had already declared himself to be the Messiah, the Christ. And he said, 
Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Why did John write this book? So that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing we might have life in his name. And they didn't believe. They wouldn't accept it. And he says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You just don't get it. I've declared it to you. My sheep get it. They understand. You don't get it. One more. And this is in chapter 11. We're now in the midst of the story about Lazarus, who had gotten sick and then passed away. And Jesus now had come and he was about to raise up Lazarus. And he's speaking to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25. Here is what he says. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She had good theology there, right? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is her declaration. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Yes, you are the Christ. This promised Savior, you're the one. So it raises the question then, what are we to do with the testimony that John records in his book? We can choose just to, to ignore it, to write it off and say, ah, it's not true. Or if it is true, what, what is really being said about Jesus? And so I've listed three belief options, and uh, they're all centered in the book of John, again, because he's talking about belief. And he begins in chapter 8 with a great teaching section as he's dialoguing with people who are following him and with religious leaders who are questioning uh, who he is and what are his credentials. And we come up with three responses. The first one is, you're just a liar. You're not telling the truth. When you say that you are these things, when you say who you, de you declare yourself to be, you're a liar, just not telling the truth. And we see that in verse 12 of chapter 8. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. He says, so the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself yourself and your testimony is not true in other words that's what you say but you're lying to us you're not who you say that you are so that could be one of our responses when we come to the testimony that's recorded in john the testimony of jesus as it was live 
to those who are listening on that day, we could say, oh yeah, he's a liar. So there's no sense even listening to him. He's just making up stuff as he goes along and he's not really, it's not really true. That's an option. But Jesus continued to talk and he shared uh, who he was, talking about coming from the Father in this chapter. And, and he says, as he's, as he's talking, he looked down further into the passage. And he says, uh, in verse 25, so they said, who are you? And he said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I haven't changed my message. It's the same thing. And he says, I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. And there were those who listened, and in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him, which is why John recorded uh, this book, so that we also might believe, even though we weren't there on the scene. Now, of course, not everyone believed. And some of those that didn't believe began to challenge him. And we come to the next option that they speak about Jesus. He declares to be from the Father, and they go, oh, no, 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 no. We know you're um, born of immorality. You're born of in Nazareth, you're not born in Bethlehem. And we go back to that hot, whole liar thing. And then in verse 48, we come to the second option. Is Jesus and the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? In other words, you're part of that hated group, the Samaritans, you're, and what they were accusing him of. Maybe his dad was a Roman and, and his mom got pregnant out of wedlock and all those kind of things and they're challenging who he is. But they go beyond that and they said, you have a demon. You have a demon. What were they saying? You're not only not telling the truth. You're some sort of lunatic. You're some sort of crazy guy. You've you got a demon. And why in the world should we listen to someone who's crazy? Why should we listen to that? If we even started to believe that there was something to what you were saying, we would dismiss it because obviously you're whacked. You don't know what you're saying, and there's no reason why we should trust in you. And that's it. Jesus continues to talk with them. And he challenges them. And he comes down to the end and he's talking about the fact that Abraham would delight to see this day. And he, then he says something that really gets him. He says... Your father Abraham, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. And so the Jews said to him, what? 
you really are crazy. He says, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Really? I mean, we have 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament and Abraham was born way at the beginning of the Old Testament. <laughs> There's been century after century after century and you say you've seen him and you're only 50 years old. Come on now. Jesus said to him, to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they go, whoa, we can't have you saying stuff like that. Because that phrase is reserved for our God. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So we come to the second phrase that John recorded. It says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It says, I want you to believe this is true. And so I've got some more verses for you that talk what John has recorded to make the case that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, part of the problem is, if Jesus is a liar, of course, we'd have to listen to him. He's some sort of crazy guy. We certainly don't want to listen to him. But today, we, we have picked another option altogether, and that, that is, oh, he was just a good guy. He was a good teacher, you know, and, and so if he has some moral teachings that people want to follow, that, that's okay. We can live with that. But the problem is, Jesus isn't going to let him get off with that. Because as in this passage, he cuts right to the chase, and he says, know who you're dealing with is the Son of God. The Son of God. And so we come to uh, that passage that we saw in first in John chapter one. Let's back up there again. In John chapter one, we have that account of Jesus coming out to be baptized. Uh, by John the baptizer and in the section before um, the one we read about being um, the Messiah he was baptized and this is the record that we read in verses 32 and following and John bore witness I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove remaining on him, and I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And now I have seen, and I bear witness, that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. The forerunner who is 
to prepare the way for Jesus makes that declaration. Let's move on. Nicodemus, a, a leader and a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night and he wants to dialogue with Jesus and find out who exactly are you? And we're well familiar with John 3.16, but let's not pass over the fact of the declaration that is made in this passage. John 3.16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Oh, the son of God. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world. Oh, so why did Jesus come? He didn't come to condemn the world. In order that the world might be saved through him. That's exactly what John recorded. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So John records this interaction with a religious leader, Nicodemus, and says, there, he makes a, a straight-out claim to be the Son of God. But we have some backhanded testimony that comes across and John records for us. One of them is found in John chapter 5. And John is, is recording the ministry of Jesus, he, he begins to uh, talk about his authority. Jesus begins to talk about his authority. And uh, he had healed on the Sabbath. And of course, that got him all upset. And he goes, in verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus answered and said, My father is working until now, and I am working. So who did he identify himself with? The Father, I'm his son. So any notion that we might have that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God is obliterated in these texts. Because why? Let's read two of the response of the Jews. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not because he was only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Whatever we might say some 2000 years after the after the fact cannot deny being denied by the text which declares that in that day when Jesus was ministering in their midst they got the point you're saying that you're God mm -hmm. go with me please to John chapter 10 in John chapter 10 Jesus is giving another message and he's talking about his relationship with his father he had just talked about uh, his sheep and 
and being a good shepherd and all those kind of truths are floating around now. And he says, that passage, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. And he says, oh, I, I've told you already. You didn't believe. We already touched on that. But he goes down and he says, my father, in verse 29, who has given them all to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And we read the response of the Jews in verse 31. And the Jews picked up the stones again to stone him. And Jesus asked them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these are you about to stone me? In other words, I, I've, I've taught well, I've healed well, I've performed these miracles. Which one of these are you going to stone me for? And they go, it is not for good works that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. So did Jesus ever claim to be God? Yes. Yes, he did. When Jesus was in the upper room, I won't belabor this one, because we went through the, the upper room discourse with, with Jesus and John. And in John 17, he says uh, that he desires that the, the Father glorify the Son. But we have one more. And that's at the crucifixion of Christ. Move ahead to John chapter 18, I mean chapter 19. Jesus gone through the mockery of a trial and the religious leaders then take him to Pilate and they want to crucify him. They want to put him to death. And this is what we read. After being tortured, Jesus is brought out wearing the crown of thorns in verse 5 in a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the religious, the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. So we're left with the same set of circumstances. John has declared it. He has recorded it. Does Jesus categorize himself as the Messiah? Yes. Does he categorize himself as the Son of God, yes. Did they understand what he was saying when he said it? Yes. So we're left with, do we believe him or not? And John writes these verses that we have read. Remember, it's like the table saw and the pile of lumber. John didn't write this stuff just so we would know this stuff. Or just have this stuff. 
but to use this stuff. And how does John want us to use what he has written? He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John says, I don't want this stuff just sitting here. This book wasn't written just so that we would have a record of Jesus. This isn't written just so that you could fill your library. This was designed from the very beginning to impact you, and to change you, so that believing you might have life in his name. I'd like for you to skip ahead out of the Gospel of John to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10. I do so because there is a great summary message that Peter, one of the disciples, gives to a Gentile. You remember the story of Cornelius, a Gentile, who is told by God to go and get Peter, and Peter was going to come and give him a message. And Peter then comes to Cornelius, and he understands that God has a message for Cornelius. And in verse 34, this is what he says. And I want you to pay attention that he calls himself a witness of these things and then the reason. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word which he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, that word Messiah, Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, which we talked about. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses. We saw all this. That all he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter, as he preaches this message, said, do you know who we're talking about? This Messiah, this Son of God, he is the judge of all, the living and the dead. He's been appointed by the Father. 
And he says, and all the prophets from the Old Testament talked about this, gave witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe it, and you, you put your trust in him, that's what belief means, you'll have life in his name. John basically said, I've given you this book not so that you can put it in your library, not just so you can read it, not just so you could have it and have some sort of understanding of the life and the ministry of Jesus. I have given it with a specific purpose that you might believe and that in believing might have life in his name. God's anticipation for us, God instructed John to record these things. Why? He desired that we would be saved and have life in his name. So the question then is, what do we do with the Gospel of John? Do we write it off as, well, this is a story of some sort of fanciful liar? This guy was some sort of crazy guy from the old, you know, from the olden days, you know, 2,000 years ago, and he's sort of a wacko, and we can't trust anything that he would say, and has no bearing and significance on the modern world. Or we can say, as John indicated, he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And I put my trust in him life itself my prayer is that is your response let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for the record of John and for even this short verse which talked about the purpose for his book that we wouldn't miss it that we would respond in faith, believing, and put our trust in the Messiah, the Son of God, and have life through his name. We give thanks for this great gift that you have given, not just the book, but the truth of everlasting life. We give thanks in Jesus' name.